Good morning. Good to see you. I pastor about 150 miles west of here in a town, a small town. In fact, we're in the country, right off I-80, 335, 338 exit. If you're traveling through Nebraska and you get to exit 338, we're right there on the corner. You can see us from there. I'd like to talk to you this morning about the uniqueness of the church, first of all. And uh, there's a passage in Scripture found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 15. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 15. And Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. And Timothy is a solid believer and preacher. It's one of uh, Paul's uh, favorite, if not, uh, disciples. I know he gets a lot of static because it sounds like uh, Timothy is having a hard time in, in Ephesus, but there were a lot of things going on in Ephesus. And secondly, a lot of the commands to Timothy were in the present imperative, which means keep on, keep on, keep on. And uh, he just needed a little encouragement. He wasn't, I don't think, on the border of failing, but you have to remember there. He's given the, the responsibility to straighten out false teaching, women problem in the church, and all kinds of things. But Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So the church is very important, and we'll talk about that this morning. I checked uh, out in our county next door to us. There are 14,000 people in York County, and in York County there are over 40 churches. I checked out a city close to us in Aurora, it's about 4,600 people, and there are about 20-some churches in Aurora. I checked out Council Bluffs. There's 62,000 here, and I have no clue how many churches are here. <laughs> but I know one church, and I know this Southview Church, and I've known it for a long time. Uh, Dwight and I have been friends. We were trying to figure out how long have we known each other. I think the earth was still wet from the flood when we, uh, when we got to know each other. I'd like for you to turn with me. I want to talk about the inception of the church, how it's just a little bit about it. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 to 39, when the Lord Jesus came the first time, after he was baptized by John the Baptist, who had been preaching, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then when Jesus was baptized, he preached again, the kingdom of uh, repent for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, whether you read Matthew or Luke, same thing. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What he was talking about was the promised kingdom in the Old Testament. We probably know it better in our circles as the millennium. And he was preaching that the millennium was going to come, but it was based upon the repentance of the people. 
You don't get into God's kingdom unless you repent and place your faith and trust in the Lord himself. Well, after three years of ministry, on Palm Sunday, he says this, Matthew 23, verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather you, your children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, and they will say it honestly, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The war in Israel today and the war between Hamas and Hezbollah is a war between atheists when you get right down to it. The only difference is that God has promised a future for Israel. And the greatest proof of the Bible, as one man said, is the existence of the Jew. And the fact that he's still existence, although there have been thousands of years, which all the surrounding communities and nations, who's heard of a Midianite? Who's heard of uh, some of these Sumerites? Who's heard of these people? But the small Jewish nation is still in existence. But when Jesus spoke these words, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. It's no longer the Pharisees and the scribes. It is now Jerusalem and her children. And Christ reveals himself as the God of Israel. He says in this passage, I wanted to gather you. Over the past thousands of years, God is, Christ has been speaking. I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers a chicken. And you are not willing. And so they rejected God. And the judgment is that your house is being left to you desolate. If you go to the Temple Mount today, there is no temple. There is on that uh, grounds the Dome of the Rock and another Alaska Mosque that's on that particular dome. There is no temple and there hasn't been a temple for over 2,000 years. The hope is... You say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then he begins to announce his departure. Turn with me to John chapter 13, verse 33. John chapter 13, verse 33. Jesus is now in the upper room. And he's visiting with his disciples. And he says, little children... I am with you a little while longer. You'll seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love, have love one for another." Well, Simon Peter pipes up, and he says in verse 36, Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, Where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. <coughs> so there's a new paradigm. Right away in chapter 14, Jesus tells him where he's going. Take a look at John chapter 14, verse 1. You've probably heard this at many a funeral. 
Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. They were very troubled. Where's Jesus going that we cannot follow? What is the scoop here? And Jesus says, it's interesting in the original, he says, stop being troubled. Stop it. And he says in this passage, uh, in my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. Now, what were these disciples thinking would be the next on the agenda? The kingdom. They were hoping for the kingdom. In fact, they had a big argument before this as to who would be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus says, in my father's house, there are many places I would, and I would, if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to repair a place for you. I'm not preparing a kingdom. I'm preparing a place for you in glory. And if I prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This is the hint of the rapture of the church. So there's a whole change in the paradigm. In the Old Testament, when you became a believer as a Gentile, you would have to go to the Jerusalem three times a year, and you wouldn't even be allowed on the temple grounds. You'd be part of it, but you would not. There's a little barrier beyond this wall. No Gentiles can go. Now suddenly there's a change of venue. There's a change of a paradigm here. And Jesus' boldly, bo, bo, absence is something about which they, they thought would be fearful. Now is going to be something glorious. Drop down to John 14, verse 12. And he reminds them, he says, In this period that I'm going to be gone, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me works the, the works that I shall do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to my Father. Now, the question has been over the years, what are these greater works? Some think miracles. Well, there are 36 miracles in the Gospels and 20 miracles in the book of Acts. Now, we know Jesus did many more because John tells us many more things were done as well. The disciples did not, did not do more miracles than Jesus. They didn't walk on the water, and they didn't feed 5,000 and 4,000. And so it's possible that this refers to the spreading of the gospel around the Mediterranean uh, after Jesus ascended. But I think there's another possibility. Another possibility is Jesus referring to the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believer. And he starts out, he says, because I go to my Father, there are greater things. And the greater thing is seen in verse 13 of John 14. And that is, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that my Father may be glorified in the Son. Wow. I don't think we always think of prayer as the greater thing. But right here he says, here it is. This is not a ritual, praying in Jesus' name, is not a ritual to be repeated without meaning at the closing of our prayers. It is a 
reminding us that we come on the basis of what Jesus has done for us and we can walk right into the throne of God and present our petitions to him. In times past, a man's name was synonymous with his character, was synonymous with the person. Uh, children were often named after uh, to commemorate some signi- significant event. For example, in the Old Testament, remember G- uh, Jacob and Esau? Esau was born and they called him Red, Esau, because he's red all over. And they called Jacob a heel catcher because he was a born caught a hold of Esau's heel and heel heel, uh, catcher in idiom for that is a scammer. He was a tricker. But in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25, take a look at this. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25. Here's our privilege. Therefore, he's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I've heard people tell me over the years, nobody nobody in our church is praying for me, I don't think. Well, I'm praying for you. That's one. And there's more than that. But I tell you, the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're a believer, he's praying for you 24-7. And God answers his prayer. So no matter where you are, who you're doing, or what you're doing, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the Son of God who died for you, praying for you on a daily and regular basis. Hebrews 4, 14 and 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, or Hebrews 4, high priest, passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all points since as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Ever blow it so bad you're afraid to go to the Lord? I'm just ashamed to even go to Him in prayer. But the truth is, he's been tempted in all points as you are, yet without sin. He didn't fail at the temptation or the problem, whichever you and I had, so he can help us. So it's interesting to me when people get in a marital problem, they go to the lady on the backyard over the fence, and she's had three wrong marriages. How can she help you? Why don't you just go to the Lord with your trouble and lay it before him? The psalmist did, all 150 psalms. Many of them are David just pouring out his heart. Lord, I'm down. I'm blue. I, uh, why are you cast down, O oh my soul? You can go directly to the Lord. In 1 John five fourteen, we read, This is the confidence that we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears in whatever we ask, we know that we have requests that we have asked before him. James reminds us we cannot ask amiss just on ourselves, but what does the Lord want? Listen, God's will is the best thing for you and me. 
It's a perfect thing. He's a good God, so his will is good. He's a wise God, so it's wise. He is a loving God, so it's a God of love. He's a God of omnipotence. He can work it out. So that's one of the benefits, the prayer. And God answers our prayer and take advantage of it. I'm not going to ask for a hand raising. How many of you pray on a regular basis? I think all of us would admit that prayer is one of the areas of our life that is probably one of the more weaker areas of our Christian life. But what, what a powerful tool we have in God's answering our prayers and bringing our needs before him. The other promise was that of the Spirit. In John 14, 16, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Now, Jesus is leaving. And would have been neat, wouldn't it, to be able to walk with Jesus and say, Lord, uh, what do you want me to do? Should I take this job or not? Should I marry this person or not? Should I do all these things or not? And he's right there in front of us. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Well, you don't have, we don't have, the Lord Jesus Christ right beside us, physically. But we have the Holy Spirit, who is also God, who is as much a person as God the Father and God the Son. He's a person. It used to irk me when I was in Bible school and even happened in a seminary that guys would write a paper and re- rather than writing out Lord Jesus Christ, they would go LJC. That just bothered me. And then uh, I found myself, instead of saying Holy Spirit, I'd put HCHS in my paper, and all at once it dawned on me, he's as much a person as Jesus Christ is. If it bothers me about LJC, why wouldn't it bother me about HC, HS? He's a helper. The word there is paraclete. It's a Greek word para, from which we get parallel, and alongside, and then somebody who is called. Called alongside. And it's translated various ways in the New Testament. The best way for me to illustrate it is this way. I had a uh, underground sprinkler, one sprinkler that went berserk this summer. And I've changed those sprinklers before. They're not bad. You just dig around them and unscrew them and screw the next one in and adjust it. But this one was right against uh, a, a garden, a, fa- a flower garden, and it had one of those plastic barriers, you know, to hold the... Uh, rocks or to hold all that in. It was right next to it. I got down there and I turned it out, no problem. And when I wanted to turn it in, I couldn't get that angle to get it in to go because that barrier had shoved over. And it was getting close to losing my salvation. (laughs) So uh, my next door neighbor is a deacon in our church. And I was, it was hot, it was humid, and this thing just wouldn't fit. And I tried and tried, and I needed another hand. Here comes Fred. 
says, can I help you? And I said, man, can you help me? And you know, he helped me and we got it in, no trouble at all. And I got to thinking about this. His coming and help me helped my mental attitude. It helped me from saying things I wished I'd have never said. It helped me from being frustrated. He was a helper. Sometimes, or most times, we need an extra hand, don't we? And that's what the Holy Spirit is. He's in Jesus' place. He's not only beside us, he's in us. That was not true in the Old Testament. You and I have the unique position of going to God in prayer and presenting our needs and all of them before him. There's no point in hiding because he knows it all anyway. Just need to confess, call it what it is. Tell him how you feel. Plus, as a believer in this particular church age, we have a helper who helps us. When you're tempted and the temptation is there, a quick prayer, Lord, help me. I don't have to watch this picture. I don't have to say these words. I don't have to be angry. I don't have to be bent out of shape because someone sings solos and they never ask me. You see, I don't have to go that. I don't have to climb the church ladder socially or physically because God the Holy Spirit is the one who gives out gifts and he gives to every one of us exactly what we need and I don't need to be jealous or envious or anybody else whatever gift they may have that I don't have. Isn't that great? I can go to church and relax and if I walk with the Lord and God wants me to be the high potentate in the church, he'll make me the high potentate in the church. We can relax about the whole thing. The Holy Spirit is there. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit, it's interesting to me that the Holy Spirit has placed us in a very interesting position. The disciples up to this point, we have a greater privilege before God than the disciples had up to this point. They were not part of the new covenant. They were still part of the old covenant. And they didn't have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. They had the physical presence of Jesus Christ. But they didn't have this. Take a look at the new covenant in Jeremiah chapter 31, 32 to 34. Jeremiah 31 32 to 34. This is promised in Ezekiel 36 as well. But this is the covenant which I make with the house of Israel. It's with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart, and I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will no, not teach again, each man his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know, the Lord, know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. And in Ezekiel he talks about, I'll put my Holy Spirit within you. That was not true. Now I understand this is for the house of Israel. Okay, it's not for us 
particularly as Gentiles. But let me add, let me add you just a little example of the Old Testament. Uh, God said in Deuteronomy, a Moabitess cannot worship in the temple for ten generations. Heard, you heard that? There was a, a family in Israel, and the famine got really great, so they moved out to Moab. The, the wife's name was Naomi. Her husband died. And her two uh, boys married uh, Moabitess women, Oprah and Ruth. And Naomi now realizes things are better in Bethlehem. So she says, I'm going back to Bethlehem and I'm not going to have any more sons for you to marry. So why don't you just stay here? You know the story of Ruth. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Where you go, I'll go. And where you die, I'll die. She made a commitment to God. And she went. She ends up in the lineage of Jesus Christ in the genealogical record. How did she get there? By marriage. My dad said, you don't need to marry the prettiest woman. woman marry the richest. You get in by marriage. That's how we got in. We're married to Christ. We're his bride. And we can enjoy the blessings of this covenant. And the Holy Spirit lives within us. First of all, the Holy Spirit will be universally present in every believer forever. Where will you be a thousand years from now? That's not a trick question. Where will you be? You're going to answer back. Where? Heaven. Where will you be a million years from now? And who will be in you? The Holy Spirit. He's here to stay. And it says in Romans 8 9, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. You either have the Holy Spirit or you don't. And you receive the Holy Spirit at the moment of faith in Christ. He's there forever. Secondly, while Jesus was on earth, there were sometimes they were fearful. But when the Spirit came, they spoke about Christ with boldness and confidence. In Mark 14, 50, in the garden, when Jesus was arrested, they all left him and fled. In John 6, 20, but he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid, walking on the water toward him. With the Spirit of God, we don't have to be afraid. With the Spirit of God, we have boldness. In Acts 4, 31, And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit lived within, being filled, I believe, as being controlled. And they began to speak the Word of God with boldness. In your witness, in your testimony at school, in your witness on the job, in your witness in the neighborhood or in the grocery store, wherever you work, sometimes we become very, very fearful. 
And a lot of witnessing could be done simply because we're afraid. And we back off. Now, you don't have to be bombastic. And you don't have to be yelling it out. But you can be bold and calm and realize you have, a, you have God, the Holy Spirit, who is omnipotent, omnipotent omniscient, who is all-powerful, all-knowing within you. They can't touch you unless it's God's will. Powerful, isn't it? Thirdly, Jesus' ministry with the disciples was temporary. But this is, and dwelling is forever. This is the privilege of being in the church age. You can know it. In John 14, 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. A helper, one who comes alongside. When you read the book of Galatians, walk in the Spirit. How can you do that? He's right there to help you and aid you. When the temptation comes, as I said before, all you have to do is stop and think a little bit. Stop and think a little bit. God, I don't have to do this. I don't have to think this. The Holy Spirit will be universally present with every believer. You either have all of them or you don't have any of them. You don't have to pray for more of the Spirit. You don't have to pray the Spirit comes down. There's no, you were baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ at the moment you believed. There's no second blessing. The Holy Spirit is there. You just have to understand it and believe it. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. The Holy Spirit doesn't believe, have any error in him, does he? He's not a false spirit. He's a true spirit. And he teaches you all things. In John, he says, he tells us that John, we don't need a teacher. Now, it doesn't mean we don't need a pastor or teachers, but he says the real teacher is within you. And when Pastor Oswald preaches and he presents the truth, there's something within you that says, yes, that's it. Yes, that's the truth. And when you hear somebody else and you say you're looking forward to hearing it, and you sit there and you say, uh, I don't know what's wrong here. But something isn't right. I mean, I've gone to hear some pretty, what I thought were pretty powerful speakers, and I sat down with anticipation, and I thought, this is going to be good. And as it went along, all at once I started to think, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Now, I was a dumb uh, high school graduate and the first year in Bible school. And the professor got up, and he said... The flood of Noah was only local, the Tigris-Euphrates River. Now, I didn't know whether it was local or not, but I knew that's not right. And uh, a little bit later, finally, I realized Noah's flood was real. And it's worldwide. And it was a severe judgment on this earth. But the Holy Spirit kept me from going that route because some of my buddies bought into it. And one of my friends 
ended up graduating from the Bible school and came to the conclusion about a year later, no one has to be born again. So when the Holy Spirit says something to you and the light on the dashboard of your mind says, check doctrine now. Pay attention. Pay attention. Because the Holy Spirit is that gauge in you, is that, what, do I, what should we call it, that sensitivity gauge that says to you, wait. Maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. But you go back and study the Word and go and find out what is true. It's up to you and up to me when that red light goes on on the dashboard to check it out. In fact, uh, 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 some guys in our church have brand new cars. And if they don't pay attention to that check engine's long, the engine will go down to a very slow degree and they have to go to a dealer and have it fixed. It's not like you can go pull up on the shade like we used to do under a shade tree and fix it. They've fixed it so you got to go with the computer chips. You almost have to go to the dealership. But within you, you have that particular, that particular teaching of the Holy Spirit. Pay attention to it. So we live in a unique age. We live in a unique age when Jesus died on the cross and sacrificed himself for us. And he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And he was raised from the dead. And in Acts 2, he sent the Spirit of God to indwell all those who put their faith in him and form fellowships and form groups, which we call the church. And we have one distinct or two distinct advantages over even of the Old Testament. We can go to Christ in prayer. Personally, you don't need the pastor to pray for you. It's good if he does. But you can go to God in prayer. And you can lay your petitions out before him in God's will. And he answers your prayer. You know what? I've known uh, Dwight for a long time. And I remember when you didn't worship in this church. You had another church building. And I remember preaching there. and People in the basement and people up. And it was crowded. We were bumping around and shoving each other around just trying to get around. And I kept telling him Dwight, you got to do something. You've got to find a lot. And he had the patience of Job. And all at once, God laid this building in his hands in answer to your prayers and his prayer. You've seen God answer prayer. And when the local church together corporately sees God answers prayer, it encourages the individuals within the church. I know he can answer prayer. Look what he did for Southview. Look what he did for our church. That's an encouragement when you see God answer prayer. May you realize that you're in a unique age and you and I have the privilege of prayer and the fellowship of God, the Holy Spirit, living within us. He's a helper. He's a counselor. He's a guide. And he teaches us wherever we go. Jesus, while he was on earth, could only be one spot at one time. I know that he's here this morning because whether two or three are gathered together, he's here. But we also have 
the Holy Spirit within us. If we walk with the Lord, you know, we can't lose. You can't lose. What a privilege. And then to die and gain more. My son's uh, wife died uh, this past uh, spring of ALS. And she was a, when she found out she had uh, ALS, she said, This is my chariot to heaven. And they treated this as God's will. And someone told my son Rick, he said, When I die, I want to die like Chris died. He said, if you want to die like Chris died, then you got to live for Christ now. So we have this great privilege. Walk with him and serve him with all your heart. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Father, that the Holy Spirit was given to us as you asked the Father and he sent him. And I pray that we will be reminded that he is a person and that he can be grieved and he can be quenched. But we pray, Father, that he will always have free will in our heart, free will in our, our life to do what he wants to do. Forgive us, Lord, for where we've quenched him and told him no. And forgive us, Father, where we've harbored sin and bitterness in our life. And wouldn't let him act as he would love to have act. To control our life. To bring joy and peace in the middle of uh, trouble and catastrophe. So, Father, I pray the Spirit of God would do his work in our heart and life today. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.